0: Hi, I'm Chris Clink and you're listening to my Writing Table Podcast. Simmons is the author of the best selling Gibson Bond series, which includes The Short Draw and Poison Feather. Born in Illinois and raised in London, England, he now lives in Washington, D.C., where he taught English literature and theater at a private high school for over a decade. The Wall Street Journal describes his new novel, Constance, as a breakthrough in human cloning becomes one woman's waking nightmare in a mind bending thriller. Hi, Matt.
1: Hello, Chris. How are you today?
0: Good. Thank you for joining us and talking to us about your new book. Um, your Gibson Bond series, of Political Thrillers, featured twisty conspiracies. Before we talk about your new book, can you catch us up on that series?
1: So that was interesting. It's a five-book series that began as a one-book series. When my publisher bought it, they said, we like this, we'd like there to be a second one. I had left the possibility open that it could either be a standalone or a series to make myself... As attractive as possible to whoever might, you know, fingers crossed, buy it. And when they said, we'd like another one, I said, okay, I can do that. Like, I I had a thought or two about it. I certainly did not have a five-book plan. So I had to break it down as it went along. So the first three somewhat acted as a trilogy. And then if you've read the series, the second two are basically, it's a change of location. The first three take place in Washington, D.C., and then the second trilogy, through Hooker by Crook, I wind them up in Europe. And th- there is a thought to go on and maybe write that sixth book and finish that second trilogy. At the moment, we're working on Constance and, and its follow-up. You know, if the series were to be over now, I'm happy with where they are but there is in my mind's eye one more story there perhaps to bring them home I was writing some interview questions the other day and and they asked me what character of yours would you most like to spend a day as and I went none of them are you kidding me being the creation of a thriller writer is awful because we make you and we have affection for you and then we do terrible things book in book out we just put you through hell and so no no thank you very much I don't want anyone to be subjected to what I put characters through but I was uh, So there's a thought to maybe wrap it up at some point maybe put a bow on it and give them a little bit of a, a happy ending because I have not been nice to them so far. And I feel I owe them a, a little treat at the end.
0: <laughs> well, you didn't plan on that first book to become a series, but it did and did well. Right. So now you've got Constance coming out and I'm reading that Constance is the first of two. So when you started writing Constance, I wanted to talk Same about what it's thing. about. But now that you've been down this road, did you kind of know that, okay, this is where I'm going and and write the first one knowing that you had to have those threads to pull on later?
1: No, I, you know, it's funny because I really put my foot down and I said, this is a standalone. this is a one book thing. That's it. And they went, yep, we totally agree. One book. And then I turned it in and I was thinking about the next one. And uh, my publisher said, hey, I've been showing the book to people here and they really like it. How about a second? I went, no, 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 no. I don't have a second one. I didn't think of a second one. This will remember that conversation we had. And she said, I know, I know. It'll just be. I said, well, I don't have one. I can't help you. And hung up the phone. And a couple of days later, I took a shower. And I got into the shower. And I stood there for about 15 minutes and when I got back out of the shower, I had an entire second book. Wow. And I called her up and I said, okay, I can do a second one. She said, you said you didn't have one. I said, I know, but I took a shower. It's okay now. <laughs> she said, I don't, I don't want to know what that is all about, but okay. So I had, had a, I had an idea that I really, really liked that served as kind of a companion and a counterpoint to the first book. And I'm super excited about it. Once I knew I was going to write a second one, I made some adjustments to the end of the first one to allow... To to seed the second one. But it came about kind of again. At some point, I'm going to have to start planning what I do living and stop just taking showers and coming up with book ideas. It's a very dangerous business model in the long run.
0: Finding these books in the shower.
1: (laughs) I know. There was a a great Colombian author, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who was famous for his, his showers. He put in like three extra water heaters at his house. And he got in the shower every day and he didn't get back out until he knew what he was going to do that day. Legend has it, he was in there a long time sometimes. If it wasn't coming, he just so he had all these extra water heaters lined up so he could just just stay in the shower until he figured out what was going on. I'm not quite that much of a lunatic about it yet, but if it keeps going like that, I may have to invest in extra water heaters.
0: Tell us about Constance
1: it's interesting once you become an author you sort of get assigned a label we were talking before the show about your friend who writes women's fiction Hi. and ira mystery thrillers or political thrillers publishing has all of these sort of labels lanes whatever you want to call it and once you're assigned a one there's this great anxiety about not being in that anymore and Constance is, by some labels, a departure. and But I continue to argue unsuccessfully that's exactly what I've always done, which is it's a mystery thriller. It happens to take place in the future, in uh, the year 2038, 2040, so about 20 years in the future. It's a book about a woman who is cloned after she is murdered. And so the clone is put in the position of investigating her own murder just literally came out of an idea I had, which was: Wouldn't it be fun if someone had to be both detective and victim at the same time? And how could I make that happen? How could I, how could I come up with a, a scenario where that would be possible? Because obviously, it's not possible. I think it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it's interesting. Some people say, "Well, I don't really read science fiction," and, uh, and I say, "Well, did you read *Handmaid's Tale*?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "Well, that's science fiction." And they said, "Oh, okay." And I, you know, those labels are so, I think. Strange training sometimes. I think of a book that came out a couple of years ago called The Martian by Andy Weir, which is, I guess, a science fiction book, but really it's Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's just an adventure book about a guy who's marooned, not on an island, but on a planet and has got to get home. And once you sort of like step back from the, well, I don't read science fiction and just say, I just read. So is about a young woman in Washington D.C. who is trying to solve her own murder. And I think it's fun and interesting. I hope, I, I really enjoyed writing it. I hope it's fun to read.
0: Sarah, Laka is a debut author. She just came out with a a book called She Wouldn't Change a Thing. And and she had a similar situation that she thought she wrote this book that was kind of psychological thriller, suspense a little bit, maybe women's fiction, about this psychiatrist who comes back as her 13-year-old self. And she's got, she can't, it's a time travel deal. But yet everyone has told her she's she's writing science fiction. This new author's like, okay. But it's so funny how we have to deal with those brands.
1: And our, own, and our own sort of self-conception about what we do and we don't mm-hmm. read you know I, I sort of find myself in this interesting position that will mystery thriller readers read something that has a science fiction elephant will science fiction readers read a book you know or will I wind up in this like very narrow lane right in the middle where no one is and can I invite them to cross traffic so to speak yeah, and come, and come see something different so we'll see very curious to see how the book does when it comes out next week
0: What's- a wide variety of subject matter between Constance and the other series, how do you approach research before you begin writing?
1: Uh, Well, Google is a tremendous asset. Uh, You know, for when I had the idea, so when I had the idea for I'm going to write a book about human cloning, the first thing I did was I started looking at articles on cloning. What's the actual science of cloning? Where are we with it? Then look at what are the legal boundaries of it? You know, where are we now so that I could project where we're going to be? So there was a bunch of that which was just trying to get a sense of where we are now you know I, I don't really have we didn't have an interest in writing a book that was set 200 years in the future i just that doesn't that's not an, a place that feels at home to me but you know but only 20 years from now where will we be what will we have what will be different what will be the same i think that's a, was a really interesting research question which is oftentimes when we watch a science fiction movie Things are so dramatically different than what we have now. And I don't think that's always the case. The the example I really used was a movie called Blade Runner, which came out in 1980 and was set in 1999, 20 years later. And they supposed that people were fighting space battles off the shoulder of Orion or whatever. And they so fantastically overshot where we were actually going to be with back, uh, Back to the Future 3. They've got hoverboards and this, that, and the other thing. And none of those things actually existed. The thing thing I thought about was, it's 2020 now. If we went back to 2000, what's actually different between the year 2000 and the year 2020? If you were walking down the street of your town, how could you tell the difference?
0: I think that's what will make it relatable.
1: Right. It was, that was my thought. Is that the, the answer is maybe the cell phone. You know, there weren't a lot of cell phones in 2000. They were just coming in. Not everybody had them. Um, people's homes didn't have flat screen TVs yet, but they still had a TV. So technology is rolling along, but the changes are actually much smaller and more discreet than we think they're going to be.
0: Do you do a pretty tight outline before you get started?
1: I do a running outline. A lot of writers use the expression plotters and pantsers. I call myself a road tripper, meaning that I'm going to start here and I know I'm driving there and I have a general route. But if while I'm going, I see a sign for something cool, I may pull off the highway and see if that way is better. So I'm not totally just flying. Like, I don't know where I'm going and where I'm going to end up. I know people who outline it all and then just write it as it was outlined. There are some things that I have to be in the middle of figure out. I have to be writing it in order to figure it out. But I still know the general destination. I'm a little bit of a combo creature.
0: I know that you used to teach English and you also mm-hmm. theater. So when did you know you were a writer?
1: So uh, I actually was a writer before I was an English teacher. Uh, I spent my 20s writing. Um, I started a novel when I was about 24 years old uh, going to write the great American novel. Good grief. I spent with you know, stops and starts I spent four years waiting tables, You know, being a starving artist, writing, trying to figure out what I was doing. And when I was about 28 years old and I finished it and it wasn't any good. Tell, Chris Pratt always tells a story about how he was, you know, living in a van with his buddies and then he got Parks and Rec and now he's a, a big movie star. The story they don't tell is about his buddies who were in the van with him who didn't get Parks. You know, and when you, when you try to make a, a go of it in the arts, you know, there are the, wonderful stories of, well, Harrison Ford had given up and was working as a carpenter, and then George Lucas was like, hey, come on and read for Han Solo. I mean, Harrison Ford had quit acting and, and then his career happened. And those are wonderful stories. They're nice to hear and they make you hopeful, and but the vast majority of people who go for a career in the arts, at some point hit the wall, where, and I hit that wall. I was looking around and my friends were graduating from college, not, we were graduating from graduate school and getting married and buying houses, and I was working as a waiter with them and no one wanted, and that was a cold cup of coffee. Uh-oh, I've really screwed up. I've, I, you know, you, you, you have that like, say like 28, when you think, you know, you're like, Oh man, my life is over. I've wasted my life. You used to think things that like that you're sort of that over historic about things. I stopped writing. I didn't like it anymore. It didn't feel good to me. I was embarrassed because I'd spent all this time writing a book and I wouldn't show it to anyone. I was done. And I did, I worked in uh, the tech sector for a little while and then I'm an English teacher. I was an English teacher for 12 years. And, you know, I really credit that, that like going into a classroom every day, day talking about books with 12th graders and like picking them apart and thinking about them that rejuvenated my love of writing. When I started writing again, I didn't tell it was a secret because I, 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 was, I was afraid I was going to get the, oh, man, really? You're going you're to do that again? You're going to embarrass yourself again? I mean, no one, you know, and that was all my own, my deeds. No one, no one was actually saying any of those. that's how I felt about it. And then I started writing short what would become the short drop. And I didn't tell anyone about it until I was about halfway through. And with that, there's no intention of actually publishing. It was an exercise for me. It was a thing for me. And then at some point, I was like, I, I had this, you know, I was like, do I dare? Do I dare show this to anyone? Am I going to get laughed out of the room? Am I going to, am I, do I dare open that door again at 42? Do I try this again? And I did. I like to say I'm a, overnight success, 25 years in the making.
0: We were so secreted about writing. I had finished my first book before I told anybody. And then when I did, I felt like I was telling them that I'm really a double. General.
1: I know just how that feels. I know just how that feels.
0: And you just feel so exposed. You know, one of the first people I told said, well, you know, it's a statistical impossibility to get
1: published. That was good to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I <laughs> got more comfortable with it now further down the road. I'm not James Bond about my books anymore. I, I'm more happy and uh, to talk about them and more comfortable to avoid that first one it was just uh just just between me and the wall that's all that we're just gonna keep that it just feels safer you know it's always interesting when you go to conference you talk to other authors and you hear their stories and everyone has a path and a journey that there is no one way to you know to figure this thing out
0: what are you writing now
1: So I am writing this companion to Constance. It's called Chance. It takes place two years after the events of Constance. It is not exactly a sequel, but not exactly not a sequel. Several, many of the characters from the first book make appearances in the the second book. I built this world and this idea of human cloning to basically to satisfy this sort of silly conceit of like, ooh, it would be fun if someone you know had to investigate their own murder." But once I did it, I, I like the world. You know, the nice thing about speculative science fiction or sort of science fiction that's at just a few years in the future is that it allows you to comment on your own world through the safety of like, well, this is a made up one. It's not the same. And Constance, the character Constance, Darcy Constance had a very particular perspective on this world and what it meant. And what I realized in the shower was I that I had that I really wanted to explore in this world that weren't, you know, you know I, I sort of think of like a book like Game of Thrones. He, he has so many different characters that he was able to look at that world from, you know, a king's point of view and a commoner's point of view and a woman's point of view and this point of view, Constance is written entirely from the perspective of that one character. So that was the only viewpoint that was allowed in that story and giving myself the freedom to take another look from a very different point of view of what is going on in this world and while continuing to somewhat to to advance the story that was in the first one. So... We shall see. I'm very excited about it. it I, it's, it's all daunting when you're writing the second book of the series before the first one comes out. It's a little, there's a little bit of hubris there. It's like I don't even know if you're going to read the first one, but I'm over here writing the second one. So everyone better read it because I'm in <laughs> a lot of trouble. If if everyone's <laughs> like, nope, no, you guys better be hungry. <laughs> right? You're like, oh my god, It'd be in a world of hurt if everyone was like, nope, the one was good. So hopefully enough will will uh, be curious to take a look at the second one too. What were the books you read that
0: that? that made you think,
1: ah, maybe I should try this? So the first time I was, I was living in New York uh, after college and I was reading reading a lot of an author named Don DeLillo, I discovered. And I was reading a lot of an English author named Ian McEwen, uh, who would, again, if you're going to put a category on him, is probably a literary fiction guy. But I would argue is one of the best suspense writers there is. He writes some of the most tense, anxiety-producing books and is so, 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 good at it. Those books certainly were what inspired me to try my own hand at it. One of the reasons I think that first book I wrote wasn't very good was I was trying to be Don DeLillo. It makes me cringe to an extent, like how much of it, it's like, that doesn't sound like you. That sounds like you doing a, a cheap rip-off imitation of someone who's much better at that than you are. But I definitely got into a, sort of a mode of... I didn't trust my own voice. It took me a long time to sort of shed that I'm going to hide behind someone else's style and write my own. If you find a book that really gets you, read it again and then read it again and then read it again. Don't move on. You listen to your favorite albums hundreds of times. You listen to your favorite songs. You know, you watch your favorite movie a dozen times, but we sometimes only read a book that we really like one time. There's a a tremendous value to reread. Do
0: you listen to music when you draft?
1: Yes, I have many different playlists. So when I was writing Constance, I listened to, shockingly, for anyone who's read the book already, a lot of David Bowie, who plays a, a huge role in the story. I listen to a lot of Jason Isabel when I write because he's such a, an, a spectacular lyricist. It sort of depends on where your head's at. Those words are going in my ears and then they're coming out my fingers. So it, it, it kind of works out. But yeah, all the time, there's always music playing.
0: What surprised you most about the writing life?
1: If you write your first book. So I wrote my first book. Well, I guess my second book, technically, but I wrote Short Drop. Took me. Two and a half years from the point which I started it to the point at which I submitted it. And I wrote it, you know, in the summertime because I was a teacher, so I had summers off. And I would use, you know, like, you know, there was one Thanksgiving where I didn't go. I didn't have Thanksgiving dinner. I just worked. I had those five days off, and I just worked for five days. I sort of grabbed it wherever I could. But at the end of the day, I was just writing it for myself. So who cares? And then I sold it. And it was a two book contract, and they said, This is great. We want another one. And we wanted it in 11 months from right now, go. And I went, what? That's what a- do you mean? <laughs> right. People have asked me, like, what is the hardest book I ever wrote? And it was certainly the second. The hard part was now I'm on a deadline. Now I'm on someone else's time table. Now I no longer have an excuse. This is your full-time job. You don't have the excuse thing. well, I have to teach this. Uh, this is your job. And if you don't have the book done, you don't get paid. That It's a very different set of muscles. It was the difference between being an amateur and being a professional. And I did not know how to be a professional writer. They say writing is the application the seat of your hands or the seat of chair and learning that you don't have the luxury of not feeling like it or I'm not inspired today. That's tough. You're going to just work anyway. It's like being creative on demand is, it's a bear. There's another old joke about writers, which is the hardest thing about writing is convincing your significant other that sitting on the couch, staring at the wall is work. And there's a lot of that. It's like, I don't i don't sit on a couch. I lie on bed with a pillow over my face or I get in the shower until I figure out what I'm going to do next. And I'm working, so leave me alone. It's, it's a tough one to sell to people who don't write. You got to figure that out. What's your pillow over the face move?
0: I think I finally got my husband convinced that when he sees me on the couch with my eyes closed, most of the time I'm not asleep.
1: I'm like, right, 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 right. Let it
0: all stew. <laughs> no. And you talk about switching from the series and now into Constance, which is another series. I'm working off of one series and starting a new series. And it's a lot of work. And I had forgotten how much work it is to create that world. But you've got six books in that series and now you've got another one. So what did it take for you to build a whole other world?
1: It was sort of answering questions. You know, every question you answer narrows the other available questions. So I'm going to write a book about cloning. All right, well, we don't have clone. So when is it set? Is it set 100 years from now? Is it set 20 years? Okay, it's set 20 years from now. Where do I want to set it? Well, I want it to sort of also have sort of a political-cultural layer. So, And I know Washington, D.C. will also set it here. Okay, now, so those are like little like, okay, stakes in the ground. Like, okay. I also want cloning to be incredibly expensive. I don't want it to be because oftentimes in science fiction, you sort of have these technologies that are just everywhere and everybody's got. And really, that's not how it works. That certain technologies you know, are only available to certain people. Your health care varies in this country depending on where you live and how much money you have. You, know, you don't necessarily get the best medical care there is. Some people do, but a lot of us don't. So I decided that I wanted to sort of explore that with cloning a little bit. So let's have cloning be prohibitively expensive. Only the 1% can afford. How's that going to work? So each decision, sort of, you start to build this, whatever metaphor you want to use, a foundation of, here are the facts. And now I need a main character, but I don't want them to be rich. But I also want them to have a clone. But I just said, you need to be rich to have a clone. So how am I going to make that happen? Right, well, now I've got to problem solve that. So that's the interesting thing about like making those choices. If I'd made a different choice, create a problem for myself by saying, I want her to have one, but I don't want her to have a lot of money. Because down here, I said, only very rich people have it, but I'm the one who said that. So I could go back and change it. So you're constantly going, well, what if I change that? What are the ripples? What are the repercussions of changing any one of these decisions? And gradually over time, the world comes into focus. The main character grew out of the rules that I was building for the world. And what character would best explore the world that I had created. One thing just elaborates to another and to another and to another. It's a lot of fun. It's it's daunting. There's some very good podcasts. NK Jemison, who is a fantastic fantasy writer, does workshops on world building. And she does a world building exercise on a podcast that I'm not going to be able to remember, but I listened to it a couple of times. Um, and she's very, very, very clever about it. And she that is well worth listening. if world building is something that you want to get better at. When
0: What are
1: you reading now? I've sort of been all over the place. I'm reading an old book. I'm reading Shutter Island, which I'm a big fan of uh, Dennis Lehane's, but I never read, I saw the movie, but I never read the book. So I'm reading that. Uh, I'm also reading Razorblade Tears, which is the new Sean Crosby, Southern Noir, which is fantastic uh he's gonna be a big star i think he already is he's just doing tremendously well and deservedly so what else did i read this summer i read some science fiction i read uh project hill mary the new andy weir book which was a lot of fun it was, it's another like the martian it's about a scientist who is adrift and all alone and needs to science his way out of us and uh, uh that was a lot of fun uh what about you what have you been reading any what, what
0: oh, i i just finished the lost apothecary uh Ve Schwab. I've been reading a little bit of hers. I've been listening to Kristen Hanna's The Four Winds. I have started your book. I'm, I've got like a book by my nightstand. I've got one in the living room. I have an audio book going. I am, I'm always moving with my books. Okay, where? How do I get it all in? It's nice. I have
1: I have an entire to be read bookshelf. The
0: question that I ask everyone is: In your view, what is good writing?
1: Ooh. It's interesting because I don't think that there's one answer for that, which I think is the wonderful thing about writing. Everyone's gonna know what good writing, and that is everyone likes something a little bit different. I mean I think there's an honesty to good writing. You know, for example, the book I wrote in my 20s was not an honest book. It was me attempting to be someone else. It was me afraid to speak in my own voice. Now, I don't think I was being honest, but I don't think I was being intentionally dishonest. I don't think I recognized at that moment, at that age, what it was that I was doing. It was only with time and maturity or whatever you want to call it that I saw it. You look at, you know, James Baldwin's wonderful, long, intricate sentences, and you look at someone else's short, punchy prose, you know, was one good is one bad. You know, it's that ineffable quality. It's like you know it when you read it, when you are pulled along by it, when you, you know, get lost in it. And then sometimes when you get, come to a complete stop something is so beautifully frayed. You know, it, 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 it's that interesting thing, you know, that what makes good writing versus what's a good, one, right? Because I've read books that are terribly read or great fun to read, but they, they're not especially good writers. Like word sentence to sentence, like construction, like nothing about it is like all that impressive. Boy, does it just pop along. And then there are people who just write, like Don DeLillo. You know, he is from My Money, one of those beautiful writers of sentences of the latter half of the 20th century. But there are things about his books which I would challenge a lot of people to get through. So there's that difference. It's just pure good writing. Then there's a whole bunch of other things. Not everybody reads for good writing. Interestingly, some people read for other reasons. They read for the characters or they read for the plot or they read for the escapism. They don't care whether the writer is uh, a Nobel Prize winning wordsmith. So maybe I'm maybe cheating my way out of your question, but I'm just going to start with my one word is that good writing is on writing like that true to yourself
0: thank you especially right now i know this is a super busy time for you getting ready for this launch
1: and no this is a lot of fun thank you so much
0: to learn more visit matthewfitzsimmons.com and to learn more about the author matthew mentioned visit her website at N. A. jennison music by pavel yun and photography by casey mineke sound editing by podcast engineers If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.